0: Goodness um, we're reminded that, in the midst of that tragedy, that there were so many miracles that took place that kept it from being worse and we're we're grateful for that, and we 're so grateful for your prayers we felt the strength that you 've been praying that we would have and and uh, you know nothing's going to be the same, but uh, we're just taking it a step at a time, so thank you for all of that, and I want to especially thank Lori, and I know Ollie isn't here this morning, but I understand they did a tremendous job filling the pulpit in our absence, and just so appreciative of people stepping up to the plate. Uh, Gary did our mowing for us uh, so that our doggies wouldn't have to find the way through the forest out in the yard, and... Uh, Uh, appreciate that. And just so many expressions of food and and everything else, we're just so grateful for them. And may God bless you richly. I don't know that I can do this after all. Um, Well, obviously, most of you here today, if not all of you, know that our family has experienced this, this loss and passing of our dearly loved Justin two weeks ago. And as I shared with Belinda that I wanted to be back in the pulpit this Sunday, it did seem very unnatural for me to to come back to the pulpit and after all that's happened over these past two weeks and just simply return to the sermon series that we've been preaching for the past seven weeks. So, for that reason, I want to just talk to you this morning from my heart, um, and particularly to, to Trish and to our to our grandkids, I, I want to just give some words that, that not only they, but uh, that I think all of us need to hear. You know, when you're going through situations like this, first of all, let me say, let me just ask the question, how do people go through this without Jesus? I have no, no clue. Um, and, and so, from the very beginning of this, there have been, it, <laughs> let me say it this way. I, I like it when I get to preach to you. It's when I have to preach to me that it gets difficult. <laughs> you know? And, and so, uh, I, I've been, for the past two weeks, just Scripture passage after Scripture passage has becoming become uh, more clearer to me and more aware to me than perhaps ever before. And uh, just shortly after the incident took place, The Lord took me to a passage of Scripture that, in all honesty, I've probably just glossed over in my many years of ministry, but it's become particularly meaningful for me uh, these past two weeks. And I want you to go with me to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter number 7. Again, it's not a common Scripture. It's not... Not one that we preach from or talk about often. And in all honesty, I found it unusual that the Lord would bring me to this scripture. Uh, But as I've thought about it in the days that have passed since He took me there, uh, I understand a little better why. It says, It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of every person. And then I want you to notice the last phrase of the verse. It says, the living, and I'm using a different translation than the one on the screen, the living should take this to heart. Now, we, we sang this morning about the presence of the Lord, and trust me when I tell you that we have experienced God's presence in, in so many amazing ways, and you know, when you're talking about the presence of the Lord, a lot of times what we are referring to is the presence of the Lord made manifest or made known through the people of the Lord, we've had so many expressions of uh, of prayer as i said earlier and and so many so many visits so many cards so many words of love and support that have been genuinely expressed to us and financial blessings and food and just your presence walking with us through every aspect of this tragedy has has been deeply dip, deeply appreciated and Being present, being present for those who are going through what we've gone through goes a long way toward helping us deal with grief. So, again, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. But back to this passage. These words were penned for us by the wisest man who ever lived. His name was Solomon. And it says that it's actually good for us to be in a house of mourning. Now, i got to tell you, in the early hours after this accident took place, I found myself asking the question, why, over and over and over again. And then a couple of days into the ordeal, I came to this passage in Ecclesiastes that I found in a word search when I was searching for the word mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. Um... When I read those words that it's better to go into a house of mourning than go, to go to a house of feasting, I had to stop and ask the question again, why? Why would it be better for us to be in a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting? And I came up with three reasons, two of which I think are very logical and very plain for us all to see, uh, although... Again, the logic of them didn't make me feel much better, okay? Uh, The first one, the first and most obvious is this ordeal has resulted in our entire family recalling the life that God gave us in the person of Justin. And I'm not sure any of us realized how intentionally and purposefully that Justin Justin lived his life until after he was gone. That's the first thing. The second thing is it forced us to ask ourselves about our memories of him, to recall those memories. It forced us to encourage. It forced us to to lean on one another more than perhaps we've ever leaned on one another ever before. Those are the two most obvious things. And they are wonderful things, and, and I think that our family will appreciate the lives of one another and lean on one another and encourage one another more than ever before. And for that, I'm grateful. But as the days have passed, and as Justin's friend Ed Mathis made us very aware of at Justin's memorial service this past Wednesday, the primary reason that Solomon wrote these words is for the purpose of each of us considering our own mortality. Um, never have I experienced the truth of this statement more than just in recent days. One day can change everything, and I'm not sure we live with that conscious awareness of how fragile life really is. Um. As I've read the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John probably hundreds of times over the course of my life, one thing that I've discovered is that Jesus never officiated a funeral. Not one time. Do you know why? Because whenever Jesus came to a funeral, the dead were brought back to life. I love that. Now, I want you to go with me to another Scripture passage found in the New Testament. It's found in the Gospel of John. And I want to read a story that I know you're familiar with. Um, and, and before you, I, I read that for you, let me just say, you know, the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse number 27, I, tell, I think it is, tells us that it is appointed... Unto man wants to die everyone I got bad news for you this morning. If Jesus delays his return, every one of us here are going to die now i don 't mean to be morbid, but that 's just that 's just life, and death is a part of life, and it 's not a matter of if we 'll die but when and therefore. Any time, I believe, is a good time for us to ask ourselves some basic questions. Questions like, am I ready to die? Questions like, where will I go when this life is over? And please understand, I'm I'm not trying to preach another memorial service for Justin this morning because when it comes right down to it, this service here this morning is for those of us who are living. And not for the person that we've loved who is no longer with us. It's for us this morning. John chapter number 11. Jesus, when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem about two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, now catch this, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die, ever. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she said, she told him, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come to come into the world. "'Having said this, she went back and called her sister Mary, "'saying in private, "'The teacher is here and is calling for you. "'As soon as she heard this, "'she got up quickly and went to him. "'Jesus had not yet come into the village, "'but was still in the place where Martha had met him. "'The Jews who were with her in the house consoling her "'saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, "'so they followed her, "'supposing that she was going to the tomb to cry there. "'When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him,' She fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was angry in his spirit and deeply moved. Where have you put him, he asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? And then Jesus, angry in himself, again came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, he already stinks. It's been four days Jesus said to her, Didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone, and Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this so they may believe you sent me. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. Whenever Jesus came to a funeral, the dead were brought back to life. You know, when that happens at a funeral, the funeral's basically over. Um, I don't say that to to be cued. I, I say that because this funeral that we read of in John chapter number 11 is a little different. This was a funeral for a man who was one of Jesus' best friends. His name was Lazarus. Lazarus had two sisters named Mary and Martha, and when... When Jesus arrived four days after Lazarus had died, each of these sisters ran out to Jesus at different times, but they said exactly the same thing to Jesus when they got to where Jesus was. And what they said was this, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. What were they doing in saying that? They were blaming Jesus for Lazarus being dead. You see, they had witnessed witnessed time after time Jesus healing the sick, so they believed that if Jesus had been there when Lazarus was sick, quite naturally, Lazarus would have been healed and therefore would not have died. Now, I mentioned that in those few, first few hours and days after Justin's passing, I asked the question why many times as if it were God being the one responsible for his death. I would cry and I would question God with all the dads out there, why did it have to be him? Probably the most hands-on involved dad I've ever known and I mean that. From the bottom of my heart. Why? Now, I've shared with you my asking of that question, and I've shared it with many of you who have experienced similar situations to the one we have. And I've been assured by those, as I have assured others in the past, that it's all right to question God. It's all right, God can handle that. It's okay to ask God why He would let the one that we love die, but notice, notice when Mary and Martha come to Jesus and say, "Lord, if you'd been here, this wouldn't have happened." Notice that Jesus didn't scold them for blaming Him. He didn't scold them. He didn't chastise them for their words. What that tells me is that God is a big God and He can handle our emotions, whatever they are, even asking why, even doubting God's goodness in the midst of all of that. You know, we shouldn't feel guilty for wondering if there was something that God could have done, but the fact of the matter is He didn't. And as I've already said, the day is going to come for every one of us when Every one of us will die, and we're going to die for the simple reason that we live in a world that has been damaged by sin, and the wages of sin is death. Now, what I find interesting about this story from John 11 is how Jesus responds to Lazarus dying. We read that Jesus was deeply moved. What was it exactly that was moving? Jesus to the point of weeping. Well, undoubtedly, he'd lost a close friend. That was heavy upon his heart. But I believe the primary reason that Jesus wept is he saw and sensed the hopelessness of those who were left. He grieved because they were in mourning. They were grieving at the loss of this loved one. So when Jesus comes to Lazarus' grave, he could have have said something extremely profound as he had done time and again. But Jesus doesn't preach a sermon. He doesn't make any powerful observations. It just says that Jesus wept. He wept. The shortest verse in all of Scripture And yet I believe it to be one of the most profound scriptures in all the Word of God. Here is Jesus of Nazareth, the world's most complete, most perfect man, attending the funeral of a friend and being moved to the point of openly weeping. And he weeps without embarrassment, without apology. And those standing by noticed him weeping and they said, Boy, he must have really loved him. Why do I bring that up? Well, there's been a lot of crying in our family the last couple of weeks, and many of our friends have done their fair share too. So I want to just say crying is okay. If it's okay for Jesus to cry, it's okay for us to cry. But then that brought me to another passage of Scripture. It's found in the Psalms where the psalmist says, In Psalm 56, verse number 8, God put my tears in your bottle. Have you ever wondered about why God would collect tears? You know, people collect a lot of things. People collect things that they're interested in, things that are of value to them, things that are rare. But God collects the tears... Of those who cry out to him. Because he's interested in our tears. He knows that our tears are of value. He's not just interested in our pain, friends. He considers our tears to have great value. Tears that are shed before the throne of God are never wasted. Never. They may dry up where they fall on our faces, but... They do not dry up or evaporate before God. Those tears that God collects are priceless treasures to him, and he keeps them for his safekeeping. You see, when we grieve, God wants to say to us, don't bottle up the tears inside yourself. Let them flow. God knows that it's unhealthy to bottle up Too many tears inside. He knows that the volume of our tears is too massive for us to carry because they start squeezing against every fiber of our soul and creating this this inner pressure cooker of pain, heartache, and grief. And so God gave us tears as a means of cleansing our heart, cleansing our mind, cleansing our soul. They wash and they wash, and they wash. They wash away anger. They wash away grief. And, and in, just having said that, if we hold them in, nothing will get washed out. Our bottle for tears, our bottle, can only hold, hold so much before it explodes. And that was why the psalmist wrote these words. He told God, God, my tears are too many. I, I, I can't even hold them all, so he asked God, put my tears in your bottle. Now, having said all of that, that's easier said than it is done. No doubt the thought has crossed my mind, God, and I'm just being real with you this morning, Okay. God, why should I trust you with my tears when you let this happen? It's a question I've asked God more than once throughout the course of my life. I asked God that very same question or very close to it when my grandpa was taken when I was 14 years old. And I had prayed as God had told us in his word that you pray for the sick and they will be healed. God took him. And I didn't understand that he was healed, just not according to my way of thinking. I asked myself that question when I lost one of my closest friends five years ago. In both of those situations, I found myself being angry at God, angry at life, and angry at people. I was angry with those who told me, Terry, don't ask God the hard questions, there's no answers to those questions in this life. Let me tell you what, all that accomplished was shutting me down. But over the years I've discovered that you can ask God the hard questions. You can. And that somewhere, somehow, at some point in time, you'll find the answer and in the meantime, we will find that God has never shut down on us. Never. So, God has been in this moment with us. He knows. He feels our pain. Our weeping is okay. Our crying is okay. Our trembling is okay. And in those moments, God is saying to us, just let me hold you. Let me embrace you. Your tears are sacred to me. And when you can't bear the grief, when it's too much... Let me help you with them. So I said all of that to say this I'm convinced that God weeps with us. He knows our pain, He feels our hurt. And if we'll let Him, He'll work inside of us to bring comfort to our pain. How do I know that? Well, this is the best part of the story. God knows what it's like to hurt. He knows what it's like to hurt. He lost a family member, too, by the way. He gave His one and only Son. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever should believe in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But then he says this, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Back to what I said earlier from Ecclesiastes 7.2. The primary reason for Solomon writing these words is for each of us to consider our own mortality. This is a time not just to remember our loved one who has gone on, but what and all that he meant to us, but for each of us to realize that this gift that we've been given, this gift of life, It's fragile. It's fragile. You remember what Jesus said to Mary and Martha when they had expressed their grief to him? That gives us hope. He said to them, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he said this, the one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die ever. And then he asks this question Do you believe this? Do we believe that today? I mean, I've already told you, every one of us are going to die someday. But if we believe in him, Jesus said, we'll never die. This shell may pass, but the soul, the best, the very best part of us, will live until the day that Jesus returns and body and soul are reunited And so will we ever be with the Lord.
1: Do you believe this? Do you believe it? See,
0: Jesus wasn't merely saying to Martha, to Mary, Hey, Mary, Martha, there's going to be a resurrection. That's not what he said. He said to them, I am the resurrection. Now, why is that important? Because about a week after raising Lazarus from the dead, Jesus died on the cross. And three days later, the one who is the resurrection proved it by rising from the dead. Again, do you believe this? You see, Jesus did that so that we know that he makes good on his promises. He guarantees us the promise that we will live forever. You know, I've heard people say that we often think of this life that we have here as being the one described in Scripture as being in the land of the living and that when we die, we go to the land of the dead. That is not true. This is the land of the dying. And Jesus rose from the dead to offer us an opportunity to live in the land of the living. Hallelujah! Hallelujah. as i thought about these words i couldn't i couldn't stop my reflecting without going to a passage in revelation chapter number 21 where john the revelator is seeing in a vision all that is going to take place in that time when Jesus restores everything and everyone to newness of life. It says in verse 4, God's dwelling is with men and He will live with them and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will exist no longer. Grief and crying and pain will exist no longer because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. This morning, as each of us accept this challenge to think about our own mortality, let me just say to you that there's only one requirement for entrance into resurrection life, the resurrection life that Jesus is offering. You can't earn heaven by how good you are. You can't earn heaven by how many nice things you've done for others. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he dies. Do you believe this? Would you bow with me, please? Jacob, worship team, if you would come. If you could just do come Holy Spirit one more time, please. Lord Jesus, I know that this is probably a different message than anyone who has come here this morning expected or anticipated, but Lord, I've just been reminded so often given recent events of the fragility of life. How things can change in an instant. How we can face eternity at a moment's notice. And God, I know as well as I'm sitting here this morning that there are people, multitudes of people in this community, in the surrounding area, that quite likely have never considered their own mortality. Have never considered the fact that one more breath and it may be over. You've told us it's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. So God, when we come to that moment, all that is left is to consider the question, where will we spend eternity? Lord, I'm so thankful that We didn't have to ask that question regarding Justin's life. We know. We know that he's with you. He made that decision very clear to everyone that he came in contact with. And so we know where he's spending eternity. But the question for those of us here today is where are we spending eternity? As Ed made very clear in his funeral message on Wednesday. We're going to spend it in one of two places. In heaven with you, Jesus, or in a place of torment where the fire is not quenched and the worm never dies. Lord, there's just no good reason, no good reason for any one of us to, to take the chance of entering into eternity without knowing where we're going to spend eternity. And it's so very simple. You're the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in you will never ever die. And so the question that we pose as we close this message this morning to each and every one of us in this room is, do you believe this? And if we believe that, God, then there's no good reason for us not to profess our belief in you as our Lord and Savior and guarantee that we spend eternity with you in heaven. So as Doug and Jacob are playing that song, Come Holy Spirit. Jesus, you told us in your word that no one comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws them. And so, Holy Spirit, as you move between every aisle in this room this morning, as you approach every person in this room this morning, I'm praying, Lord, that the words that have been spoken from your word will have a drawing effect. Many of us in this room, Lord, have already already made that decision, we've already made that election that we believe that you are who you say you are, the resurrection, the life, the Messiah, our Savior, our Lord, our forgiver, our soon-coming King. Many of us already believe that. But Lord, just in the event that there may be somebody in this room this morning who has not yet made that decision, Holy Spirit, hit them between the eyes with the question, do you believe this? And draw them, draw them to come to Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed, and please No one looking around, not even me. This is between you and God. Do you want to know where you'll spend eternity? Do you want to know that when you breathe the last breath of this life, that the next breath that you breathe will be one of heavenly air? You can know that this morning before you walk out of this room. And all it takes, all it takes is for you to confess that you are a sinner in need of a Savior and then ask Jesus the Savior to forgive your sin and come into your heart as your Lord. It's so easy. There's no good reason, no good reason not to do it. Walk out of here this morning knowing that if tomorrow changes your world and those that uh, that you love, their world has changed radically within the course of 24 hours, that you know, that you know, that you know where you're going to spend eternity. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, If you believe this, just signal to Jesus by an uplifted hand, Lord, I believe, I believe. Forgive me. Come into my heart and be the Lord of my life, the Lord of my future. Would you stand with me, please? I love the words of that song. Holy Spirit, come in thine own gentle way. Come in your strength. Come in your power. Comfort. Cleanse.
1: Let's sing it together. Come, Holy Spirit, I need Thee. Come, sweet Spirit, I pray. Friends, you see, the thing about the Holy Spirit,
0: He's not going to beat anyone over the head to get them to do what He wants you to do. He does it in a gentle way. I often think of it in this way. He makes me think it was my idea. And when it's my idea or... when it's your idea it makes this easier for it makes it easier for us to respond if you're here this morning and you've made that decision i would absolutely love to have the opportunity to pray with you this morning to introduce you to a new journey a new walk that you're going to need strength from the holy spirit of god to to walk successfully and effectively. And I know that there are other people here that would love to have the opportunity to pray for you. That's why we exist, friends. We don't come here on Sunday morning to, to high-five one another and say, hey, how you doing? Are you waiting till Jesus comes? No, we exist as a local church because there are still many that need to become a part of the family of God. So we just want to have the opportunity to welcome you into the family this morning. Pray for God's strength and God's provision in this new walk. If that's you, and you'd like for me to have, like for me to have
1: prayer with you, come as we sing it in closing. Come, Holy Spirit, I need Thee. Come, sweet spirit, I pray, come in thy strength and thy power, come in thine own gentle way. Holy Spirit, I thank you so much for
0: the peace that I feel in this room right now. God, I just have to believe that every one of us in this room at this moment are saved and our ticket is punched for heaven. And so, Lord, as we walk out of these doors, let us walk out with a renewed sense of our mortality that if we somehow have to face eternity, we know where we're going, that we'll spend it with you. And Lord, let us walk out with a renewed vigor to share with those that we love, those for whom we care so deeply, who do not yet know you, what you have done in our lives so that they too can experience your grace in theirs. In Jesus' name, amen.